Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming for the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. If I'm a little bit quiet, it's only because my wife is asleep in the other room, and I'm recording this intro uh, at like midnight. Anyway, great guest, Ned Kenny. Uh, a little a little different episode, but yet so much the same. So Ned is the CEO of the comedy podcast app that is available now called Laughable. It is the comedy app that I have been fucking loving. It's a comedy podcast app, let me rephrase that. And it's so great. Uh, it, it, it connects you to comedians and podcasts that you love. Um, so I, this episode is a little different because Ned's like, a, you know, he's a CEO, he's a tech guy, he's a business dude. But dude, Ned is a fucking podcast and a comedy nerd in the best possible way. I mean, this dude loves comedy. And I loved kind of talking to him because he's got this like business brain, but he's also and and has admires the creative process and has some of it himself. Uh so super cool dude. And like he just drops some knowledge a bunch of times. Uh so he just he looks at podcasting so differently than I do from the business perspective, but he absolutely loves it. I mean I don't think this is a person who's running a startup for this uh, who with I'm, I hope they make a million fucking dollars, but I think he, at the core, like he absolutely fucking loves comedy. I think he loves comedians, and I know he loves podcasts, and it's so much fun. Uh, so the great thing, besides you can listen to this episode on there, which is so nice of them, you could see Let's Chat on there. But what the really cool thing is, so let's pick a a good podcast like Nerdist, very large podcast. So you can click on Nerdist, and it shows you about then. You can click a button, and it will have links to all the Nerdist stuff, and it will show you the guest who are on it and the comedian or the guest and the host. Then you can click that, and it shows you what other podcasts they've been on. I have been listening to so many new podcasts because of Laughable. I go on there. I recently I, I looked up W. Kamal Bell. I think he's hilarious. I've been loving Political Career Reactive. What else has he been on? And I just went through a bunch of podcasts and found W. Kamal Bell on stuff I like. And it's just connected me to so much stuff. I, when I'm doing research for guests, I look up them up on Laughable now. So download the app, tweet them, just let everyone know about Laughable. It's so much fun. It's it's definitely the future of podcasting. It's way better than a stupid fucking app that Apple gives you. And uh, so this is a great episode if you're a fan of tech, if you're a fan of podcasts, if you're in apps, and if you're a fan of comedy. And of course, you think I would talk to a CEO and not bringing up Sil- HBO Silicon Valley? It happens. So big shout out to Ned. Uh, and also, I want to shout out the reason I got connected with him. He was on an episode of the Movie Preview Review Podcast. Both Kevin Bartini and Adam Lash are past guests on this show. Heard him on that, and then I reached out to him, I believe, I think. And uh, here we are. Anyway, uh, find me on Twitter at Let's Chat Podcast. Uh, there's a Facebook page for this. Uh, as always, I'm on the Core Temp Arts Network, which is just coretempartsnetwork.com. And is anyone listening to this going to Rhode Island Comic Con uh, next month in November? Hit me up. I'll be there. And- Let's Chat with Revel and Friends is part of Core Temp Arts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, and movie podcasts. Check out our other shows, That Pop This Live, Talking Shondaland, We Got Five, and TV Ate My Brain at coretemparts.com. The hard, the hard, you never thought that this cop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight, cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kid to Bring. Funk, Master Flex, Love, Bug, Star, Ski. So the thing um, I really liked, because I, I was listening to you on uh, how I heard about your awesome app, I uh, was on the movie preview review with Kevin and Adam are both like dudes who've been on here. And I was like, and I was like, oh, cool. A podcast app for comedy. I'm, I'm all for that. Like, it's cool. But like, just the cynic in me is just like, this is just some capitalistic way to sell me a product. And then when you're like, I'm a huge comedy nerd and I'm a podcast nerd. I was like, oh my God, you're my favorite person in the world. Like you, <laughs> you should make millions of dollars off of this. And you actually give a shit about the people who use it. And you like the same stuff I like, so I was just like, I'm all about it. That's good to hear. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we would have made it as far as we have, and obviously way more out in front of us than behind us. But um, we wouldn't even be this far were not for the fact that we're we're really into comedy and not just you know, people who enjoy comedy, but really want to see comedians and podcasters succeed. So that certainly helped us through a lot of a lot of late nights over the last year and change. Yeah, because you know, not every 
the being a comedian, like I'm a big music fan as well, musician, uh, or some any sort of artist kind of job, there's a whole level of entrepreneurial stuff to it that not all artists actually have that skill set, and that's why a lot of the good ones really don't really make it that far for obvi- for whatever reason, like because you gotta pay the rent at the end of the day, and you need to make money off of your art if you want to actually succeed professionally. For sure, speaking. but you know, no one's no one's good at everything. So uh, I, except I Louis C.K. Except except Louis, yeah. But fucking Louis. I don't. I, I certainly don't have the comedic chops to be a comedian myself. But uh, no, no, can, me neither. If we can provide some. If we can provide some resources to comics so that they can go out and be their funny selves and reach a bigger audience and make some more money, then uh, we'll I think we'll be pretty happy. So how did uh? So where 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 are you from originally? Uh, I'm from just north of New York City. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So are you in New York now? Uh, I'm actually out in LA right now. Oh, cool! I've been out here for a week or two, and I'm uh, going to be sticking around for LA Podfest at the end of this week, which mm-hmm. I'm very excited for. Now, are you are you like working out there? Um, will I have a stack of business cards ready to go? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's showing up to listen to me talk. Uh, so, depending on how exactly you ask that question, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be we'll be be meeting some interesting interesting people and uh, seeing how we can work together. Yeah, I really want to go to – I would love to go to that. Like I, I've, always, I've never been to L.A. I'd always thought – and I had friends out there. I'm like, that would be cool to go, but like not my top destination for, for vacation spot. But I was like, L.A. Podfest is just something – maybe that and like Festival Supreme are the two things that could probably actually make me go there. Yeah, I, I've heard very good things about it, so I'm excited. Uh, but yeah, so you're from uh, the New York area. So I, I grew up in Connecticut, so we're not terribly far from each other growing up in that area. Um, yeah. Uh, but so, like, what was your introduction, like, as a kid into the world of comedy? Like, were you, have you been obsessed forever, or, like, are you a late bloomer like me? The Simpsons. Yeah, all right, we're good. Starting in about the second the second grade, man, mm-hmm. I mean, some of those episodes I still know by heart. I mean, Burlesque House, Monorail. Oh, yeah. Uh, just could not get enough of that. And what's funny, you know, uh, watching it as a second grader, I thought that kind of some of the physical gags were funny, and, yeah. you know, this or that, but... You watch that show as an adult, and you just see how many layers of just brilliant, you know, comedic talent have gone into building that show. Um, and that's really, I think, a marker of some of the best comedy that's out there. Shrek's the same way. You know, I didn't realize how much highbrow knowledge of culture I had because of The Simpsons. Like, I never saw a Streetcar Named Desire, but I could sing along to, like, the main lines because of Streetcar Named Marge. The, Stella! Sure. And, sure. like, um... And God, I think when um, God, oh shit, why am I blanking on his name? Ah, oh, the guy who was murdered by his wife, Phil Hartman. That's a sad way to remember. But when Phil Hartman yeah. died, that was the first celebrity death I actually cared about and got sad about. Because my first thought was like, oh my God, there's no more Troy McClure. No more Troy McClure. No more Lionel Hutz. I know. I'm, I'm still miss that guy. It so is, yeah, yeah, started oh. with uh with with The Simpsons. Um, and then I wouldn't say I was obsessed with comedy growing up. Uh, you know, I wasn't the kid sitting in his room in the seventh grade listening to you know Steve Martin or Richard Pryor albums over and over again. I was really into music. Like I had my classic rock phase starting in, in the yeah in middle school, and that was really what consumed me. It was more through college and and my my kind of first years of adulthood living in New York when I started going to the Comedy Cellar a lot and oh, man. really into those uh, the Louis specials, like chewed up and hilarious. Yeah, you know, the first couple specials he had where he started talking about his his wife and kids and kind of this shocking way and went from like successful comedian to you know one of the all-time greats uh and that was really the first time i became consumed with the stand-up um and started listening to a ton of podcasts and things kind of kind of took off from there but i wouldn't say that that uh that i had been planning to start this company for the last 15 years more like <laughs> we're like five or so and honestly yeah. even even five years ago i was more listening to comedy um because i i wanted to be a comedian you know yeah I was, yeah I was try- I was trying to write a TV show. I was doing a little bit of stand-up. Would never, ever call myself a comedian, like ever. But yeah. I, I did know what it was like to be consumed by the creative process, you know, and having to having to wake up in the middle of the night and write down a joke. Um, and that did that for about a couple of years, like writing all the time. And then, you know, my professional background was in um, was in tech and, and media uh, and finance, and everything came together and realizing that there was an opportunity to create a more efficient market for laughable, and that's uh, for for comedy, and that's 
how laughable got started. That's pretty great. So who are, who are you seeing? Um, do you know the comedian Paul Macario? Uh, you must. Not personally, yep. but of him. I mean, not right. Yeah, because he's what a finance guy, I think, and then qu- eventually quits and becomes like a full time comedian. I think he. Did I loved his interview with Paul McCartney. Oh my god, I I love hearing like fanboys and like I've had definitely moments on this show where I've had to suppress it. I don't know if you can if I could like maybe Paul McCartney I'd be okay because I'm not like the biggest Beatle fan, but like it, it, if I met like Mac, if I had ever interview Mac Groening, I don't know if I could do it. I'd be like uh, uh I'd be like Chris Farley talking to my, Paul McCartney yeah. on SNL. Like Classic that was episode. cool. Right. <laughs> yeah. Still remember that. Yeah. <laughs> SNL in the '90s just killed it. I mean, people didn't realize at the time. Like I remember a lot. Norm Macdonald got fired from that show. Looking back yeah. on it, Norm Macdonald was one of the be- funniest people SNL has ever had. I mean, Hartman and Farley. Oh and God, just, it was a great time for that show, even if people didn't fully appreciate it at the time. No, that was my era of it, and like I loved um, the Celebrity Jeopardy with Norm Macdonald as Burt Reynolds was just I. My he would say like turd sandwich and my brother and I would just start crying laughing so hard and like I mean Farley was just like everything as a kid like Black Sheep uh, Tommy to- I've watched Tommy Boy at least a hundred times <laughs> like easily. yeah I mean Adam Adam Sandler you know I mean, yeah but- you people who are younger might not know he was I don't know maybe you like him still but he doesn't have the rep that he used to no but he'll always have a special place in my heart just for Billy Madison mm-hmm. When we were kids, my dad is very cheap, and so he's notorious just bringing us to the library to get stuff because you don't have to pay for it. And um, for some reason, he let us get uh, Adam Sandler's They're All Gonna Laugh at You. It might have been before they had parental advisory stickers. Do you remember that era right before Tipper Gore did that? Um, but <laughs> we were way too young to be hearing, like, Tollbooth Wooly. I think that was the first comedy album I've ever heard in my entire life, and just, like, I couldn't. Then we got in trouble because then they heard what we were listening to it was so perverted and disgusting, and it was, oh my god, it was so fucking great. But you know that feeling when you're laughing and you know you're not like, it's like being in trouble and you know you're not supposed to do it. You just can't control it. It was, it's, it's the best feeling in the entire world. Yeah, I who, agree. Who are you seeing at the comedy store in this era? Because that's like, I mean, my knowledge. I mean, I feel like I came to this stuff because of comedy podcasts. Like I've always loved comedy, but it wasn't like my nerdery. And then, uh, especially watching the show Louis. His, it just made that place even more legendary, at least in my eyes. I was like, I need to go there because of just that intro of Louis over and over. But like, so who are you seeing like drop ins or anyone cool before they're on their way up? Well, uh, I don't know anyone that anybody that I saw then that wasn't famous at all then that is now really big. Probably Amy Schumer, um, but she even at that point I probably started going around twenty thirteen or so. She yeah. was already. On, well on her way um but yeah what was what was what i found most fascinating going to those shows um was you know you get to see somebody like sarah silverman or louis but even just just watching people like ryan hamilton or lenny marcus or any kind of there was a few dozen of people like that that uh that are at the cellar all the time they're just hilarious people they really are and they're successful comedians by a lot of measures but i think that we can get People like that, an even bigger audience. I mean, with the exception of you know Louis and Kevin Hart of the really top tier people uh, that are already reaching everyone. I think that kind of that second layer of comedians. Maybe there's three or four hundred standups that could that could easily headline a club in the U.S. tomorrow night. So they're successful by most measures. These people are unbelievably funny, brilliant. It's really tough to be a stupid comic. Um, yeah. Why aren't they household yeah. names? Dude, I. I, I actually I'm going to quote you because I heard it was either movie preview review or the or uh, Suckatash where you saying like most people know like one or two comedians but why don't people know like ten like there's okay. there's room for it and that's and I I was like yeah like there's got to be more than Louis C.K. Amy Schumer Jim Gaffigan and like Brian Regan like there has to be more of like and I think those are, maybe and like Kevin Hart there's like probably ten right there's like ten household names within the certain communities. But then people, not, why does not everyone know like Maria fucking Banford? Why is she not the biggest thing in the entire world? I agree completely. Yeah, but so it really, yeah. it really started with with that, you know. And I, I bring all different kinds of people to the cellar. I bring my parents, and I bring dates, yeah. and bring friends, and everybody would leave with the same reaction, which was, "How do I not? How did I not already know who those people are?" And how can I get, and how can I get more of their stuff? How can I see them more regularly? So I, I, I know there's probably a couple dozen people 
just from my world that I know regularly go to the cellar now, um, just because I brought them once and yeah. kind of open their eyes to how amazing this stuff is. Uh, that is, and it, it's um to bring it to the app as well, Laughable, which is this great, great, great comedy podcast app. Um, I I kind of feel like it has this aspect of like digital meets old. Or the way I listen, because I've been using the app since we started talking, uh, laughable. Uh, obviously, we'll plug in the beginning as well, but, um, of like the way people would talk about vinyl, where you like get the record and you sit down and you listen, and then before the internet, you would look to see who in the thank yous and you find all those bands. But like what laughable does different than the stupid app that pot, that, uh, Apple used to force you to have until right uh, up until very recently, uh, I, I go on there, I listen to my regular comedy podcasts, and then I start clicking around the comedians, I see what other shows they've been on. Uh, can you kind of tell us about like where that idea came from? And yeah, I mean, you guys nailed it. It's fucking great. I've been, I found so many cool podcasts, and even people I know that I love were on shows I never knew they were on before because of the app. Like, it's just so easy to search within it. Yeah. So I, I imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast already um, are, are kind of podcast nuts might know this, but I just want to set kind of a baseline of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. about about podcasting. So uh, there's about 60 million people in this country who have listened to a podcast in the last month. My best estimate is that between 10 and 15 million of those people have listened to a comedy podcast. Uh, comedy is a really popular vertical. Uh, within podcasting, news, sports, current events, podcasting, mm. uh, and comedy. Sorry. Um, so there's there's amazing content. There's literally thousands of comedy podcasts out there. Um, not all of them are good, but a lot of them are. Um, and a lot of really top comedians have their own podcast. Bill Burr has his own podcast. It's just just as one example. Bill Burr is probably one of the five hottest comics in the world right now. Yeah. Um, and why do, why do comedians do it? It's partly because they already talk for, and make jokes for a living, so it's a natural extension of their stand-up or whatever else they're focused on. Um, partly because they, you know, their jobs, their stand-up jobs require them to perform at night, so they have some free time in the afternoon. Um, partly because they enjoy it. Partly because it's a way to develop an audience and tell people when your tours are coming up and all that kind of stuff. So the upshot of all of this is that, and it's, and it's really cheap to produce this stuff. Yeah. So, the upshot of all of those factors is that comedians are all podcasting all the time, most of them. Um, and not all of them have their own shows, but even the ones who don't uh, have at least been on a couple of others at a minimum. A lot of these comedians have been on many, many dozens. Um, so you have, you have just an, a nearly infinite supply of this content out there. It's just impossible to know where to start because uh, the way that podcasting has really worked up until Laughable came out, is you open up a podcasting app, whether it's the Apple app or, or you know, the, there's probably a hundred plus in the Apple app store right now, and, and a, a bunch more in Android. You open it up, you search for a podcast. So the first thing is you have to know what podcast to search for. Um, then you see all the episodes presented from, uh, you know, most recent on top all the way down, um, which might make sense for sports or current events or, or something that gets stale over time. But most of these comedy podcasts are not so topical that chronology should be the organizing factor. So we kind of inverted the model. Instead of it being about the podcast series and then things organized by date and then seeing who's on each one, now you can just search for a given comedian or or tap through to some of the comedians that we um, feature on our main Discover page and see all of the episodes that they've appeared on uh, as either a host or a guest. And the reason that that matters and, you know, the feedback that we've gotten from our, our users since launching this thing, um, this summer is that they are listening to podcasts. They are becoming fans of podcasts that they otherwise never, you know, would have known existed. And comedians too, though, cause it's great cause you guys link everything right to the social media. So I don't have to leave my app to do anything. So like I, uh, started listening to Tuesday stories with, uh, Mark Norman and, Joe something and I'm just Joe like, List. yeah, yeah, it's fucking great. And, um, just hit a button and then bam, I'm following him on Twitter and just, just like that. It's fucking great. Yeah. We try to make it easy for people. And, you know, we're not, we're not trying to replace anything that comedians are already doing. Um, you no, know, it's improving uh, social it. media. Is, yeah. It's improving it. It's bringing it all together in one place. So yeah, you can tap straight through, 
straight through to their Twitter, to their Instagram, bring everything together in one coherent location. Um, and so make it easier for people to connect with comedians. And this is also valuable for comics because we're helping them find fans. And, you know, eventually it's not just about getting people listening to podcasts. It's about getting asses in seats at comedy mm-hmm. clubs. Oh, because yeah, that's where the most meaningful comedy consumption experience is yeah, for absolutely. users, and that's how comedians make money. And, and you know, once you love a comic, don't you want to support them? Don't you want to see them actually, you know, have a financial livelihood off of the you know joy that they're bringing into your life? Yeah, I want to see them when they come to my town. Like you know, it's like it's great. And then up until semi recently, it was hard to unless you're in the New York or LA comedy scene, you're not going to know about the Hannibal Burrs or whatever until. They're at a level that you're going to, and cause I don't listen, I don't go to a comedy club up here just to sit and hang out cause our comedy club fucking sucks. I only go if I know the act, you know, like it's, we right. all don't have like, you know, in New York, LA, you got like the comedy cellar and these great clubs, but the most, most of the country does not have that. So it, it's great to actually get like Mark Norman. I couldn't get to go to it sadly, but he was coming through town and I, but it was like, Oh man, if I was not out of, out of town that weekend, I would have totally gone. But I, I, I definitely, I mean, I think I'm going to see Tignataro's coming through, and I'm going to see uh, what's his, uh, Joe Mandy are both coming through, and both of those shows I heard about because I heard Tig on a podcast say I'm on tour. Check out the dates, and she might have said Providence. I was like, yes, I'm going to that. Fuck yeah, I love Tignataro. Yeah, and she's hilarious. And uh, I mean, look, Tignataro got her big break. You know, a few. She's been funny for a long time. But she got her big break because Louis oh, yeah, put her yeah. special on his website. Uh, you shouldn't need Louis C.K. to tell people that you're funny in no. order to get the following that you deserve. So, did you happen to now, see her documentary? I didn't. Uh, it's fucking beautiful. It's all about the year after that famous set, where like you know her, she goes through a breakup, her mom dies, and then she gets breast cancer. So it's all about her working up to her special, and it it's really beautiful. It's heartbreaking in parts, and and then her special is incredible. So it's fucking great everyone should watch it i'll check it out so yeah so your background you said was finance so did you work wall street that kind of stuff for a little while and then be like fuck this <laughs> i was an investment banker for a little while um where i spent most of my time after college was um working in, in business development for a tech company okay um, so uh but I was, I was just listening to comedy all the time yeah. going to the, going to shows and and writing um and eventually things just evolved into, into saying, you know, technology has really come a long way. Um, but, you know, what I observe with comedy is just the, the quality of the content that's now being put out there, both in terms of podcasts and stand up and sketch, really has outstripped, I think, a, a lot of the, the technological solutions we have to finding that stuff. And the technology exists. I just haven't seen. You know, look at the opportunity we have just to organize podcasts in a different yeah. way and it's been received very well. We didn't invent this technology. We're just, you know, using software in a in a novel way to to make people better off. And I hope that there's more and more of that in the in the comedy space. I think what's what's been wonderful for me to watch uh, as I as I get more and more immersed in the comedy world is generally people love comedy if they're if they're doing it for a living. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, I said so. The approach that we really want to take to this is to have uh, you know positive relationships with everybody and just try to grow the market for comedy as much as we can and compare notes with other people um, and not necessarily look at other people that are you know using technology to grow this market as competitors but uh, as partners uh, and i think we should all be united in in trying to get people to listen to more comedy and trying to help comedians get more fans and make more money that's excellent now um so how did you meet do, do you know mark personally or is that just like through podcasting Somebody introduced us. Uh, I had been listening to, or I had been reading his uh, podcast recommendations on Splitsider for quite a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, and Mark has, Mark probably knows more about comedy podcasts than anyone in the, any, probably yeah. maybe anybody in the world. Actually. Yeah. Oh so yeah, big time. Great resource to us over the last few months. I think I'm actually meeting him for the first time uh, out at out at Podfest this week. So I'm excited. Oh yeah, and I said he's going to be. I mean, I talked to him the one time. But he he was the guy. Uh, people listening, he's the one who. I reviewed my show that ended up getting me for the split slider and HuffPo, and that kind of brought me up to a whole nother level. And then, of course, I was like, I don't know how to handle this. So, of course, I had to find out who wrote it and be like, come on my show. And then for some reason, he said yes, and he's just like the nicest fucking guy in the world. I would be very surprised if there's anybody out there who hates Mark Hershon. I'd put it mm-hmm. that way. Some of his stories were just so funny to me because I was trying to keep my shit together. He's like, just 
hearing about going out to dinner with like Dana Carvey, I'm like Dana because Dana Carvey was one of those people that growing up was just like a god to me from like the church lady, like those SNL eras. I had all so it, it's weird. It's it's very that I think that's one thing I like about podcasting. It's very humanizing. It's almost like I mean, it's humanizing because like when you get to hear someone that you because uh, celebrity has these connotations and you only see them in sound bites and then they sit down and talk for an hour like oh, you're a person. All right. Like when Obama did WTF, that was just like strange because it's like you're the sitting president. And by the end of it, I was like, you're kind of like my dad. You're kind of dorky. And you're it's really a, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's weird. A, it's, a, it's a wonderfully humanizing medium. And so much of it is just like uh, old time radio. It, it's just always funny because they always tell us millennials, which I think I'm technically a millennial, uh, have no attention span and we're in the age of Twitter. I was like, yeah, I mean, I use Twitter, but I also listen to, like, three-hour-long podcasts. Like, I listen to You Made It Weird, and I used to listen to a lot more Joe Rogan back in the day. But, like, you know, I, I can sit down for three hours and listen to a podcast, and it's 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 great. It's fucking great. It's great for you to travel. It's great for – it's so for people like you who are, are okay with listening for, you know, for three hours, yeah, uh, the medium's already where it needs to be because you have all this great content out there, I yeah. think. How I'd like to see it evolve over the next few years is to recognize that not everybody wants to listen for three and a half hours. No, and no, frankly, yeah. Some of these podcasts that are three and a half hours really don't need to be that long. Yeah. Like, <laughs> be at homes. All. And right. And so one of the issues I think the industry is facing is right now, really the only analytics that you have as a podcaster are download count. You yeah. don't really get any insights into what sections people are listening to. Um, are they listening to the ads or they're not, you know, is there, so uh, we are, we are capturing all that kind of data. And I think, you know, our, our prerogative really is to be as useful to comedians as possible. Um, so we're already working on some, working through some pilots with different comedians and, and different networks, um, to get them data that they really don't have access to anywhere else, um, about the kinds of people who are listening where they are and how they're listening. And hopefully all of that can be used to create more compelling content uh, that can reach an even bigger audience of people. So what is the future of podcasting? Cause you're actually, I think you might be the first, maybe second person I've actually, no, you're the first person I ever talked to in the actual podcast industry. I talked to one person who's a professional podcaster, but they're just more in content creation. And I talked to one person who worked for mid but they weren't really allowed to talk about a whole lot of what they did. But so it's, it's just kind of interesting because like I'm such a fan of it and I get to make one. Like the way I, I think of this is like being a bar musician. It's like I have my full time job. I have my life and this is like my fun hobby. And, but then there's people who can make a, I think slowly people are going to make careers out of this. And now there's like a little podcast industry is kind of happening and you're a part of it. So I'm just fascinated by that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, the word podcast, it, it's funny because uh, it's simultaneously <laughs> – It's a, the worst a name. Niche, it's a bad name, first of all. It seems like a niche thing. You know, people mm-hmm. who aren't familiar with podcasts, they're like, what is, what is that? Because a couple of people – what are there, six people in this country that listen to podcasts? Yeah. Um, yeah, the number is – number is ten, you know, 10 million, that, that number. Um, wow. Uh, so, there's, you know, there's about 60 million people listening to this stuff. So, But that means there's 200 million other American um, adults who – haven't started listening yet and those are the people that we want to go after um so at the same time that some people think podcast is niche all it really means is on-demand audio so what's the future of video or this or that i mean Mm -hmm. this is such a broad term i don't think there's any one answer Mm -hmm. i think that what we know for sure is that people spend a lot of time listening to audio and Spotify takes up a lot of that time. Pandora takes up a lot of that time. Yeah. Spoken word is increasingly taking up more of that time. And podcasts or on-demand audio, whatever you want to call it, is going to be right there. Um, and there will be all different types of content created by all different types of people. I think making money across several different types of business models, whether mm-hmm. it be ad-supported or subscription, patronage. There's all, all kinds of different ways that that we can go. And so I think it's my job really just to be listening to podcasters and what's going to be most useful for them in terms of how we can help them make money and how we can give them data that's going to make them better at their jobs. Yeah, that data thing is really interesting because um, so I host my show and all I can see is download counts and geographic areas and it's not the most accurate by any means. And for me, that's fine. I'm not a multi-million dollar company that's investing into this. So like, I always wonder like a big podcast and like 
someone is selling them advertising, that data is – are they just going off of the numbers of downloads? And it, it's kind of cool that you guys are kind of – can kind of break that down a little bit more. Be like, oh, this is – this person ages this, this, and that, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, that's basically – I think that the, the fundamental problem that podcasting has now is that the creation and ownership of the content is – largely disintermediated from the distribution of it from from where the end user is actually consuming this stuff um you know itunes a- apple's podcasting app has between 60 and 70 percent market share yeah uh, on ios podcasting wouldn't exist certainly not in its current form without apple having shepherded it through you know its first 10 years of existence um but apple is busy making you know tv generating hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap off of phones and hardware and other super high margin, super high volume uh, products, podcasting analytics are not really a priority for them. So the fact that we're a small company that is serving the needs of what in a bigger company's eyes would be a niche market, in this case comedians, I think is an advantage for us. Yeah, I mean, it is, you guys just kind of recognized the hole in the market that needed to be filled and then did it right. It's great. So is uh, is it working for tech company anything like the show Silicon Valley? Um, <laughs> I, I hope you watch. Well, I, I haven't been replaced as CEO yet. So in that sense, fortunately, it has not been seen. <laughs> okay, good. Show. Um, oh, Richard. But, you know, I, mean, it's, uh, I, I would not say this has been all that glamorous so far. Um, you know, this is still largely a bootstrapped operation. We've raised some angel money. We're really excited about what we're doing, but we're working our asses off. And, you know, we have by no means succeeded at this. And I don't think you ever really succeed. Uh, you know, there's yeah. never a point as an entrepreneur where you say, you know, we made it. Um, and if there is that point, then we certainly have not reached it yet. Yeah. But um, what I think, I, I just feel fortunate that I love this stuff more than anything. Uh, and it's a privilege to be doing what I'm doing. And I love the people that I work with. We have a couple other great guys I work with and, and uh, you know, advisors and investors and people who have been immensely supportive and really believe in our mission, which is how do we make consumers and, and creators of comedy better off? Yeah. I So like, is it how many people work for your work for your company? Uh, three people total. Oh wow, you guys do all that? Damn, you guys do a ton. That's that's impressive. So is it like um, so I I, don't, I have no idea the entrepreneurship. I've always worked for people because I don't have that mindset. So like, do you have to, an office that you go to every day, or are you guys like all working laptops, Skype kind of thing? We do. Um, I have an office in Manhattan with um my co-founder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, so we have we share about four and a half square feet there, <laughs> um, and then uh, our our third guy uh, works in the UK remotely. So uh, it, it's amazing how easy it is. Uh, bad Skype connection, notwithstanding, between Slack and Skype and and all these other tools that we have, um, it's really easy to stay in touch. And the cost of starting a business over the last few years has gone down substantially. Interesting. Uh, you know, even just for a, a, a an internet company. If you were starting an internet company in the in the 90s or, or really into the into the aughts, um, you know you had to buy your own servers. You, yeah, you had to basically create your internet to power this thing. So mm. you had tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in upfront costs just to keep the lights on. You know, we pay an AWS bill, a, a, a really small amount of money to a, to Amazon Web Services every month to power everything. Um, you know, we use GitHub to check in our, our, our code um, so that multiple developers can be working on things at once. So mm. uh, it's never been an easier time to start a business. It's never been cheaper to start a business. The flip side of that is that there's more competition. So you got to yep. be on your toes and making sure that, that people like what you're building. And just because, you know, we've gotten off to a good start um, since launching, launching the app. We've seen our users on average – are spending almost three hours per week listening to content in our app. Um, That's but if great. We, it's great so far, but if we start screwing it up tomorrow, then none of that matters. You can <laughs> fail right away. Yeah, um, you're only so, as good as your last whatever, whatever they say that. Yeah. Exactly right. So you got to stay hungry for this stuff, and you got to really care about what what you're doing. And and so far, um, it's been going all right. But that could that could change at any minute, which I think makes it more exciting. Um, but I just keep reminding myself, you know, not to take things for granted. And the minute that you that you start patting yourself on the back, the minute that you have a, a self-congratulatory point of view for what you're doing is is really the minute that I think you kind of dig your own grave without realizing it. So we're just trying to stay humble here and and just listen, you know, listen to comedians, listen to users. How can 
we make people better off? And in the course of doing that listening, I think we did identify a new way for people to discover podcasting content. And, you know, that's, that's given us an opening here, but, um, we're going to have to keep innovating and keep coming up with, with really interesting solutions for all of these various constituencies for the next few years. Uh, if we want to take this from, you know, cool app to big time media company, and there's still way yeah. more got in front of us than, than what we've already achieved. Have you been able to uh, finagle your way into meeting like your heroes with this app yet? Like taking meetings to talk to like the Louis CKs or anyone else that you look up to? I, uh, I have not gotten in front of Louis CK yet. Not yet. Not, well, he's not, not, you know, he's not a big podcast guy. So I think if you're at a certain level, you don't need to really be on him. Right. Um, that's, that's true. I just more like to, to, to meet him to, to really just to meet his him. brain on. Well, partly to meet him, partly aside from being probably my favorite comic of all time, what he did on his website starting years ago. I mean, he was years ahead of the game mm. with Louis CK.net. Um, and it really went back to like, you know, in, in, when he was in, <laughs> when he's in middle and high school, you know, he was taking apart VCRs and he was always very techy. Um, and, and I think just has kind of an innate curiosity for figuring out how things work. And yeah. he was able to apply that, um, you know, on his, to his website to sell his specials, to sell tickets. I mean, the guy has just been eight steps ahead for years and years and years. So yeah, at some point I'd love to pick his brain on how the hell he figured all that stuff out because it doesn't seem as it doesn't seem like anybody should be as good at as as everything he's good at he's a great director he's a great writer he's a great actor he's i went yeah i got to i went to his tour that he did the uh the one without live nation i saw him at the bus and uh symphony hall show it was fucking great yeah but you know what if he comes out and i i, I had to sell my tickets to uh pardon me while the sirens go by uh, that's fine um I sell my my tickets to see him at, at Madison Square Garden because I was I was out in L.A. Um, oh. and you know, both the professional reviews and what I heard from the, the friends that that went in my place was that it was it was just an awesome special. But if Louis comes out and just performs dog shit, you know he he gets maybe two more specials of dog shit, and then people are gonna then the narrative's gonna be how did Louis C.K. lose his way? Yep. He got too too big for his britches and decided it didn't matter anymore and started mailing it and and then that's gonna be the narrative. So you never really fully make it um well that, that's Se- seinfeld might be the only one just because seinfeld keeps running <laughs> so yeah. even if, even if he made you know four terrible movies or tv shows in a row you could you could still just go back and watch you know any of the <laughs> any of the hundreds of seinfeld episodes that yeah are incredible but he still uh, does stand up and I, I guess stand up is one of the few art forms where like it doesn't matter who you are so if you were at the comedy cellar and jerry seinfeld comes in like me, and I'm there, I'm like, oh my god. But if he's not funny within three to four minutes, he's not funny. It like, it doesn't matter. And that's kind of the best thing about comedy. There's the, always that risk that even the person that you look up to is genius, and this is a, that there's always a chance of a car wreck, and, and that's gotta keep them on their toes. And that, I think that's the thing I love about it the most. Like, you know, you could tell who doesn't really truly love stand up because the second they can stop doing it, they stop doing it. Sure. And, and, you know, stand-up is, is one of the only art forms that you can't practice alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even for the top people, they, you know, they finish their hour special. They're going out, they're working small rooms, and they're getting material um, up, and, up and ready to rock. And they all have different methodologies for how they go about that. Seinfeld, from, from what I've, I've heard him say, likes to sit down with a paper and pencil and start mapping things out and then gets on stage. Louis will just go up and just start talking. Yeah. Just kind of just blah until it gets something. Um, so that's, that, and then they're, they're, you know, they're mining, they're refining the material over time. Um, from what I've, from what I've heard, it can actually be difficult for guys at that level at this point because, you know, I've been at the cellar a few times when Louis has showed up and, you know, you'll see him, you'll see him waiting, you know, by the stairs in the back and people will start kind of tapping each other on the shoulder and looking over as, you know, the, the, the guy before him is still finishing up and, there's just this vibe that gets – I've never felt anything like it, just the anticipation waiting for this person to go up. Yeah. I think it must be tough for them in a way to not have that. The bar's too high. Anymore. Yeah, well, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because on the one hand, they know they're going to get a standing ovation and people are going to be laughing their asses off at whatever they say. On the other hand, that that adoration, that adulation can prevent them from getting um, you know, accurate data on you know whether their bid is any good or not. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's and because your act has to work in New York and has to work in fucking Oklahoma if it really if you want a good special. And uh, I, I I think about that too sometimes. Uh, so when you get to like that certain level, like that isolation factor, which I don't think I'll ever be there, so I'm fine with it. But it's <laughs> it's it's definitely something you think about. Like it's like oh yeah, that's something else. Like because he's like you know he or even like. And you no know, women, obviously. I think like, Amy Schumer probably gets even worse because then there's the whole like, like paparazzi seems to follow around Amy Schumer more than they follow around Louis C.K. because he's always going to be an ugly schlub. Like it's just like whatever. He's he's wearing a stained T-shirt. No one gives a shit. <laughs> Actually, I think it's I think it's much harder for women. Mm. Um, and you see more and more amazing women comedians every day that are that are getting the success that they deserve. But comedy was an old boys club for a long time. Oh Sad- yeah. And it's gotten better, but still, think about the burden on Amy Schumer. You know, she has to go out and she has to make people laugh. She also has to worry about what the media is going to say about her in terms her of weight. being a, a, her weight, uh, her appearance. You know, what is she, is she a feminist icon? Is she, or can she just make a dick joke or a fart joke and not have to worry about what the higher order implications mm-hmm. are for her as the leader of women in this country, which is, you know, what she's kind of been <laughs> anointed, whether she wants to be or not. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a unique set of burdens, I think, that are, that are put on, on women. Um, and I think they're handling it amazingly well because they have to deal with a ton of shit that men don't. Uh, and one of the reasons I'm excited to be, working on working in comedy now is you're seeing more and more women and people of color that are just killing it out there and anything that laughable can be doing to make sure that to, to accelerate that process um that's exciting to me that's yeah because then, and then you'll see like amy schumer will then get criticism from within the own community that had once claimed her and and, and maybe it's right but it, it's interesting like there was that whole thing with like her and lena dunham and I don't even remember the whole thing, but Lena Dunham made some statement about a guy, and then she, like, uh, at some award show about her appearance, and then she kind of retracted it. And I forgot, but it was just such, like, a Louis C.K. would never be asked that question. Like, how did you feel about your body image at the ESPY Awards or wherever, or, or any male comedian? It's, 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 just, it's just different. It's like, you know, society would like to build these people up to tear them down. I think Amy does a fucking great job at it. Cause I, I saw her at the Oddball Fest a couple years ago, and she was so fucking funny. But there's, there, there, yeah. go ahead. Oh yeah, there's, but there's so many great. I mean, even like most comedians, when that like women will be called female comedians, but they're also you know just called comedians. Uh, but like I, I remember I had a guest on here, uh, Lindsay Goldwert, who's a really talented New York comedian. Just even talking about even going on shows and be like, oh sorry, we already have a female comedian on here. Like, I was like, what? Like, you would never be like, oh, we have enough white guys up here. Yeah, and by the way, for, for, uh, for your listeners, Lindsay has a podcast called Spent, which is really interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I would, I would encourage everybody to check that out. It's really good. Like, it's really, really, really good. It's, it's, I think she might be the only person out there who's actually talking about, well, I, I mean, the only comedian talking about money, because that's the one taboo subject left for the most part. Uh, yeah, Spence Gray. I, I subscribe to it in your app. All right. Well, and that also raises an interesting question, too, how to structure your podcast. Um, I think to get some initial attention around a certain theme, I think, has been a good strategy. And also you like to kind of organize the conversation around some level of specificity because otherwise it's just people just kind of blang all over the place. And there's, yeah, there's yeah, just of course. kind of no structure to it. But you also don't want to be boxed in. You want to let the conversation take you wherever it leads. Um, so I'll be curious to see how that kind of shakes out over the next few years. I think that comedians that are starting out or podcasters that are starting out feel a need to have a certain theme. Some people are really just funny and interesting enough to have it be a, a totally freeform conversation. Um, Bill Burr is probably the best example. Bill gets oh, yeah, on. He's yeah. alone. Bill Burr is alone most of the time just talking about whatever he wants and he manages to be interesting the entire time and has god knows how many people listening have you watched the show yet no the f is for family no ah it's really good six episodes netflix you can do it in like two hours i can't recommend it enough it's fucking wonderful i'll check it out and uh but some of i mean some of these guys that that do a lot of their shows alone or have extended intros or outros ari shafir is another one who i think is interesting most of the time he'll record podcast episodes in his car just i've tried recording um different 
different types of things and playing it back to see if it's interesting. And I, like, I find myself like almost jumping out a window just listening to myself for more than <laughs> two yeah. minutes. I um, love uh, Marin's, but I can't do his 15-minute intros anymore. I just skip right ahead. Yeah, it can be – well, especially when you build in a lot of marketing material. Um, I think I think that can push the limits for some people. But then once you get through that, Marin has two-hour interviews that are some of the most interesting things <laughs> you know, that have ever been Some recorded. of the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's that weird thing. Where do you put the ad? Do you put it in the middle so you make sure people hear it? And it, I, I kind of think it's interesting. I like to see what people are doing and have problems I don't ever have. But like, what what do you do? And like, because I'm coming at it as just like I built a show from zero, just as I should, because I'm not in that world by any means. So it's it's cool. And then, but then I've also had met people who are within the world who like started a podcast and it didn't get what they expected immediately, and then they just quit. And like, no, this is it's one of those few art forms that you unless you're like really famous, but even then. Actually, a yeah, good example. Hillary Clinton started a podcast, and from when I was doing some reading, I don't think it got the campaign wasn't happy with its results. I'm like, well, yeah, it, your first episode might be big, but you gotta you gotta be consistent. You gotta just keep doing it, and your audience will come slowly over time, no matter who you are. It's it's interesting. You really have well, to pull people in. You do, and I think that's where podcast networks are. They're important for a lot of reasons. Yeah. One of the reasons is that I think the good ones will be patient with with their hosts, and they understand that these things take time to build a following. It's not an overnight thing at all. Um, and it also helps that comedians are, you know, jet in in a lot of cases supportive of one another. Um, <laughs> I know if I said that to a comic, they might they might scoff at that statement. But mm-hmm. you know, comedians are going on each other's shows. They're trying mm-hmm. to help each other out. They're inviting each other to go on tour with them. This and that. So to have all this cross pollination of guests all the time, um, I think is is why a lot of these podcasts have um, had the success that they've had. And frankly, it's why we have a business, right? Because what we're doing that nobody else is is we're mapping the guests to different po- to different podcasts that they've been on. And, I mean, it is incredible the number of comedians that have been on like 30 or 40 or more podcasts. Yeah, Yeah, uh, because Kevin Bartini said that when when you were on the movie preview. He's like, I'm a podcast tour. And he's like, he's been on everything. And and when he did this show, he's like, oh, even just 200 people hear this. I'm in my home in my boxers and I'm getting my voice out without even trying. This is like he was he just he got it. And I was like, yes, exactly. Like. Even just doing a small show can actually get you somewhere because you don't know who listens to what. And they live there forever. As long as you're paying your server fee and keep going, like it will lead into your future. So it's such a great way out for comedians to get out there. And I mean, I've definitely personally bought in albums, books, gone to live shows because of I built this like relationship, um, from listening to their show. It's great. Yeah. But there's, there's also a lot of challenges that, that artists yeah. are going to have to confront. A lot of shows are way too long. They're, simply yeah. put, they're just too long. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're, we're really starting to see some serious user growth because we're getting podcast listeners. Um, you know, Mark Norman and Joe List and, and Lisa Traeger was their guest. They were kind enough to give us a shout out on, on Tuesdays with Stories. We saw this big influx of people that were coming into Laughable and searching for them and listening to Tuesdays with Stories and other shows that they had been on as guests. Those people don't need to be converted into podcast fans already. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's the 10 or 15 million that I was talking about. Yeah. The challenge really is how do you pull in people that maybe have listened to things here or there or listened to a couple of episodes of Serial and it's not all good news. I mean, I've put this app in front of a lot of people and a lot of those people who are not already regular podcast listeners have come back to me and said, I listened for two and a half hours and all they talked about was the politics of a certain comedy club and, you know, what their van ride to the venue was like. And it never actually even went anywhere. So even just to separate out, like, what's a podcast about comedy? Comedy, kind of inside comedy. Yeah. If you're a real comedy junkie, that might be interesting to you or me. It's not interesting to my dad. He doesn't care. Does he not wants to hear shit. jokes. He wants to hear interesting yeah. stories. So I think the solution to this is just there's all different types of content um, that are going to be appealing to all different kinds of people in all different types of, of context. And so the way that we make sure that people are allocating their time effectively, I think, is to um, – identify content as this or that, you know, so just as a start, who's on a certain podcast, that's what we've done so far. Um, but also what's the podcast about, you know, how much assumed knowledge do you have to have in order to understand what they're talking about? Um, is this, is this a story with 
with is this a podcast with interesting anecdotes or is it just a really esoteric meditation on the art of comedy, which is interesting to one group of people and not at all to another? And these are not questions that are easily answered right now based on how podcasts are currently accessed. And those questions will be answered. And the reason that they'll be answered is that there's there's if you can answer them, you can drive value for everybody in the system. That's what we're trying to do. Um, we are by no means the only pe people that are focused on these on these challenges, but it's going to be a fascinating few years for podcasting, and that's one of the things that that we're all going to have to confront. Uh, another one is monetization. Um, there's yeah. a ton of ads. There's a ton of ads um, that marketers are paying for that never actually are listened to. Um, huh. On the one hand. On the one hand, this is true for basically all advertising. You know, if a TV is on, right, and, and you're connected to a yeah. Wilson box or whatever else, even if you're in your kitchen, you know, not not watching the ad, that still counts. So certainly, you know, uh, in every really advertising sector, um, you know, a, a certain amount of it just never actually gets consumed, even though it's technically being paid for. Um, so that's something that podcasters are going to have to grapple with. You know, when you put <laughs> – when, when you spend the first 20 minutes of your podcast just doing, you know, doing your ads – a big percentage of people are just skipping through that. But right now, you don't really care to integrate it in a more interesting and creative way, maybe throughout the show, to get people actually to consume it, because you've already gotten credit for the download. So it's oh, all about really true. understanding. It's all about really understanding incentives. Um, but I, I don't think as the as the data gets better, this is bad news for comedians at all, um, because we're going to understand who's listening. And so the more you know about your, uh, you know, the recipients of the marketing, um, the better targeted that advertising can be. And so that becomes more lucrative. And then the other challenge really is how do we, how do we take, uh, somebody from listening to a podcast to getting them to go to a live show, to getting them to buy your standup special, to getting them to listen to other content that you've been on. And yeah. these are all, these are all things that can be solved by technology and by, and by people who care. And I think there's an increasing number of those people out there. And it's, it's one of the many reasons I'm so excited about what, um, how how I imagine podcasting will evolve over the next few years. Yeah, I, I look forward to continuing to see what you guys do with the app to make it better. It's fucking I, I'm loving it. It's wonderful. And uh, so before we wrap it up, any, anything else you want to hit on before we leave? And uh, if not, where can people find you and maybe you know plug your app as you as well? <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. Well, you can download our app. It's available for the iPhone right now. Uh, working to get an Android version out as, as soon as we can, but iPhone only for now. Um, so just get it in the app store. Um, and we are on Twitter. We're just at laughable and we'd love to hear from you. We, we really want to make this app useful, not just to consumers of podcasts, but also, um, also artists, also podcasters. So, uh, we generally tend to be responsive on Twitter. That's how you and I started, yeah, really yeah. started Absolutely. chatting about this. Um, so we're, we're just, we're really excited about all this and it's going to be a great few years in the media. Thanks very much, Chris. Good chatting with you. Thanks very much. All right. Have a good rest of your night. Did you know that listening to Let's Chat with Revel and Friends can improve your memory, problem-solving skills, and ward off Alzheimer's? Hello, everyone. This is Dwight Hurst from the Broken Brain Podcast. It's a weekly podcast about mental health, psychology, and psychotherapy. And unlike the spurious claims I just made about listening to this show, we actually try to talk about things that are researched and just true. If you believed the things I just said about Let's Chat with Revel and Friends, it probably would come true. That's called the placebo effect. My own experience has been that when I talk to Chris or listen to his show, I always walk away feeling like a little bit better, a little bit smarter, and like the world is a little bit better place to be. Anecdotal evidence that all my claims are true. So tuck yourself in and sit on back and listen to a great episode right now of Let's Chat with Revel and Friends. Take it away, Chris. Thank you.